Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. That one, right, the last one, with the dude with the hair like this, I th- that was me. I didn't know they did that. Um, that's pretty funny. Hey, welcome to Compass. I'm so glad you're here celebrating Christmas Eve Eve with us today. This is a special day, the, the day before Christmas Eve, because this is the day when the men start their Christmas shopping. <laughs> right, guys? We don't have much time. We, we have to hurry. So um, you were smart to come to the 3 o'clock, because after this, you can split and go, uh, honey, I got to go out and get some stuff and do your thing and, you know, with the crowds and everything else. But it's great to see you. And we've been on this series for the last month called Awkward Family Christmas. And each week, we've been profiling a different character in this awkward Christmas story. And with these real people who had no idea what was going to happen to them. And all of a sudden, God shows up and throws a wrench in their plans, completely upsets their expectations, and turns them into people who are now the central focus of the story that's literally going to change the world. And so we've been talking about all these different characters, and today the focus is going to be on Mary. It's important to remember when it comes to Christmas that history is going to come and go. But this moment remains. Leaders will come and go. Sports heroes will come and go. Instagram sensations will come and go. But this story and this event will live on continuously in some way or another in terms of how we express it, how we talk about it, the way in which we celebrate it, but the central core is going to continue to be there. And why is that? Because we believe that God is real, and we believe that at his core, God wants to reveal himself to us. And so the story of Christmas is all about two major themes, justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. So the the title of This Christmas Eve sermon is Justice, Mercy, and Mary. And it's the story of a God who makes himself known in the face of a child. So Mary, you know, she's likely a 14-year-old girl. That's pretty young. No one expects much from 14-year-old girls, really, in the world, right? I mean, they're like, they're wonderful and all, but the world doesn't expect much out of them. Don't get me wrong. I I think they're great. We actually, we have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, both girls living in our home, and and they're a kick. That's never a dull moment with with young teenage girls. In fact, if there is anything minutely socially unacceptable about either your appearance or your demeanor, they will not fail to point it out with pinpoint accuracy, right? On the spot. You're wearing that, right? You know, you can't use that word. You don't know what it means. Well, who do you think you are, right? And it just, you just know, right? They, they are communications experts. They, they can text it three times the speed of sound. There's little sonic booms going off in our house all the time. Like, must be important, right? Whatever's going on. When, when it comes to argumentation and debate, they are better than even the highest paid lawyers. They deflect blame like ninjas, right? 
did, did you leave the milk out? You do bad things too, right? They just boom, and it's like, whoa, you don't even know what hit you. It comes right back at you so fast. So it's amazing living with these teenage girls. But still, it's a tender age, and their hearts are being shaped by everything that's around them. And really, with, with, with our young people, it's been said, they're really just reflections of everything they hear and they see. But it is no secret that the world doesn't expect much from them, and that would be especially true in Mary's time. And so it would be just like God then, the God we know, the God who's made known in the Bible, to take a girl that no one would have expected anything from, who lives in the outskirts of town, in this little suburb of Nazareth outside of Galilee, flyover country, you know? They've got a gas station and a Walgreens. That's it. And, and no one would have expected anything from her. And it's just like God to send the angel Gabriel, the lead angel, and to announce to her that she of all people would be the one who would bear in her womb the Son of God. To take someone from the outside just to show that he's not impressed with human wealth and power. He doesn't care about status or rank. He doesn't care about how popular you are, how many followers you have. He doesn't look at the things that we look at. He looks at the heart and he goes for the underdog every single time. This is the real God that we believe in. And so when Mary is visited by the angel and she is told that she's going to have a child and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called the Prince of Peace, she can't help but be blown away in amazement and overwhelmed in her soul because for the first time, Coming over the horizon, barreling through all of the noise, is these two powerful concepts of justice and mercy finally manifesting themselves in the world. And so Mary sings a song that is just laced with justice and mercy, and it's found in Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 46. It's a song that she sings in response to the reality that she's going to be the mother of the Son of God. And it answers two questions, or answers one question actually in two ways. And the one question that I want to answer today for you is what does it mean Jesus' birth anyway? What's the big deal? Why is it so important? And there's two things we can find in Mary's song that answer that question. And the first thing is this, it, because of Jesus' birth, Mercy is available to anyone, even you, even me. She says in 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And why would her spirit and her soul do that? Well, because it says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And for those who would be tempted to worship Mary as somehow special above all the other human beings or elevate her to this higher state, notice in this passage, she herself does not do that. She says what? My soul magnifies the Lord. 
My spirit rejoices in God who is my Savior. All generations will call me blessed, yes, but why? Because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is what? His name, not my name, his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. And the thing about God's mercy that we have to understand is that once you experience it, you kind of stop caring about yourself so much. And the reason why is because when you really unlock and understand the richness of God's mercy, you realize it's more interesting, it's more wonderful, it's deeper, it's more beautiful than our own accolades or our own achievements or our own talents or whatever. That God's mercy is the ultimate cure for the narcissist, the person who's always staring at themselves in the phone, the person who's always worried about how they look and wanting the whole world to know all the things that they've done. It's just, it just pales in comparison to the wonderful mercy of God. And once you've experienced mercy, you can't go back. You're like, when you've really experienced it, you just kind of, you're not as impressed with yourself anymore. And you, the reason why is because while you might say that grace is getting something that you don't deserve, mercy is actually not getting what you do deserve. So when the cop pulls you over and doesn't give you a ticket, right? When, when the paper's due and your whole grade is riding on it and you, you studied and you, you put it together but you didn't get it done in time and the teacher or professor gives you one more day, right? Oh, it's mercy. It's a wonderful thing. Mercy violates all of the rules, all the rules that say only the strong survive, that you get what you pay for. Sorry. Mercy is the ultimate repudiation of karma, which is a sick and primitive and backward and merciless doctrine. And people act so sophisticated when they talk about karma. I believe in karma. And it's so embarrassing, really, because it's not sophisticated at all. Karma, you get what you deserve. Wow, did you come up with that on your own? Everybody thinks that if, if it wasn't for stepping back and looking a little bit deeper and wondering, is there a God up there going, no, 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 no. That is the way the world works, but it's not the way that I work. Mercy is not obvious. It is the opposite of karma because at its core, it takes pity on a person who has found themselves in a trap that they cannot get out of. And maybe you have found yourself in a trap that you cannot get out of. And yeah, it's on you. It is your fault. You can blame anyone else, but you know deep down inside it is your fault. So what do you do? Mercy is what changes you. Mercy is what moves you to tears and captures your heart forever. And so Mary, this 14-year-old girl, was overwhelmed by the mercy of God, which is proven by the child in her womb. But how? I mean, you say, okay, fine. So you're saying the birth of Jesus demonstrates the mercy of God. But how? Well, there's two specific ways. The first thing is that Jesus becomes for us something we would call a representative. You say, well, what does that mean? Meaning that we now have someone who can obey God fully and completely, where Adam failed and where you and I failed, where we can never measure up to the righteous and good and appropriate standards of God. We've all failed and we would all be doomed. But here comes Jesus who does it right for us, which is why he had to be born of a virgin. Both, he's both God and man. And a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit because we could have never have come up with a Savior on our own. And so it's a wonderful, true, and real 
three-dimensional, actual intervention of God into the human reality. And just like a priest represents the people to God, Jesus represents us to God. And so when God looks at us, he sees the obedience of Jesus, not the regrets and the disobedience and the sins and the shortcomings and the failings of us. And this is a beautiful thing. And so if you look at Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, what, in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of people. So our faith is very logical. And the reason why, you know, if you were invited by somebody and, you know, you're like, you don't really kind of darken the door of the church very much. And I understand because a lot of times what Christians tend to say or you tend to hear them say is very illogical and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the real world. But what we believe is actually very logical. We believe that we do sin, that there is evil and horrible things that happen, and we are ultimately responsible for the things that we do on this planet, and we are to be rightly held accountable for our sins. But we also believe there's no way that we could pay for that on our own. And so God in his mercy provides an answer for us in himself. And those of you who are parents, you have experienced this in some way or another. When you watch your child do something and you know that they've done something wrong, but they can't pay for it, right? They back their car into somebody or they, they break a window, or they do something that exceeds their ability to pay proper compensation for. And you know they're about ready to have the judgment of society upon them. And that's where you as the parents step in and say, no, 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 bring it here, bring it here, bring it here. Because I love this child. And if you've experienced that just in the smallest sense, then, you, then the reason why I believe is so that God can show you, you see, and you as a fallen person have this capacity in a limited way. I, as the God of all of the universe, infinite in my love, have so much more for you. But the other part of mercy is not only is Jesus a representative, but he's also our substitute, which means he stood in our place. So not only did he obey God as a human and as God, he obeyed fully and completely all of the law of God. But then he also, we're still accountable for our sins. He stood in our place and took the punishment for our sins. In the same verse that we just read in Hebrews, it says he makes propitiation. Well, what does that mean? That just simply means that he has done what it takes to remove our guilt. So the person that's found in Jesus has no reason to ever be afraid of any kind of anger or judgment or retribution on the part of God because of the birth of the baby. This overflowing mercy, mercy you don't expect, mercy that just rains down upon us because by dying on the cross in our place, we are no longer guilty for our sins. They've already been paid for. And you know, some, again, some of the reason that there's some of us in here who avoid places like this is because you do kind of carry that guilt. And it's like a, you know, you were raised in an environment where God was presented as this, you know, kind of like angry principal with a little pencil in her bun, you know what I mean, and, and a little clipboard, and always ready to write down all of your little demerits and shortcomings and wrongdoings, and always looking out for the things that you do wrong, and you can never win in a situation like that. Well, I can understand that. If that's how God had been presented to me, I wouldn't want anything to do with Christianity, but that's not the God that's presented in the Bible. We have a God that wants to pour out mercy upon us, and that's what the Christmas story is, and I, I always tell people at Compass Church, is that you don't necessarily have to buy this, and I'm going to force you to believe it. You just have to come up with something better. 
You have to come up with something that makes more sense in the final analysis. You have to come up with something that better explains why it is that around the holidays so many people get depressed. And why do so many people get depressed? So many people get depressed because they feel like if there was ever a window, if there was ever a season, if there was ever a moment where, we, where, where things could somehow be made right, you know, the Hallmark card, that, that picturesque kind of moment where everyone's together and there's peace and there's, there's happiness, there's harmony and there's mercy and we put, our, we put our differences behind us for just a sliver of time. And what happens is when we enter into that window called the holidays and it's the first time that we are having a holiday as a divorced person because our spouse left us or it's the first time that we're having this holiday with a person that passed away that was very close to us, a relative or a friend. And so we experience this level of emptiness and sorrow that shouldn't be there. And we know it shouldn't be there. And it's especially acute during this moment because we're saying, listen, if there was ever a time where there should be some display of mercy, it should be now and there's not. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, why is that there? And what is it about this moment that should awaken us to a sense that if there really is a God, could he at all have mercy on us? And the answer is a resounding yes. And so why would you hang on to your sin and your guilt and your shame for one more day? Why would you go on continuing to beat yourself up when you have a God who says, hey, listen, I love you and I've made a path for you to put all that stuff behind you so you can lift your head high as a forgiven and free person. Some people say, oh, I'm too bad for God. I'm too far gone. Who do you think you are? Seriously, are you, are you that bad? You, God went, oh, I had a perfect plan with this Jesus and the whole thing until you came along. You are the one that ruined the whole thing. I didn't count on someone like you. Really? I mean, no offense, but don't give yourself that much credit. <laughs> Jesus knew even you and is coming after even you. So Mary is overwhelmed by mercy, but there was something else that Jesus' birth means, and that is also the second thing, and that is this. Justice is coming because the baby is also a king. And we don't talk much about this around Christmas because Christmas is like the little baby in the manger and like peace on earth and there's Mary and Joseph and some cattle and sheep and everybody sings, even the sheep sing, you know, and there's children and there's presents and there's the wise men and the shepherd and everybody's happy. But when you read the scripture, it's kind of like, if, I mean, we could kind of water it all down, but when you read the scripture, there's kind of a little bit of a, you know, here comes the king, baby. Here comes the... So like, I mean, John the Baptist is not exactly the most politically correct dude that walked the face of the earth, you know? And, and he just kind of was letting people have it. And so what happens is Mary captures this as she continues in her song because he says, okay, well, there's mercy, but then 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And so the arrival of Jesus also is the message of, hey, you abusers. Those of you who are proud and walk in arrogance, those of you who think you're better than other people because of your accomplishments or your place in life, 
Those of you who turn a blind eye to the poor, to the desperate and the weak, your days are numbered. Your time is up because the king is here. And so there are three words in that passage, proud and mighty and rich, and it's important to qualify. There's nothing wrong with being proud of, of your, your work, you know, proud of the fact that you have a skill or whatever else. That's not what we're talking about. There's nothing wrong with being mighty, with being strong, because mighty people can do mighty things that are good things and have positions of authority that are good. There's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with being rich, meaning like to live your life where you're making wise choices and saving your money and and disciplining yourself. There's nothing wrong with those things. That's not what we're getting at here. This isn't some kind of great equalization, you know, uh, some kind of communistic kind of thing. No, it's about the condition of the heart. Mary says, those of you who are proud in the thoughts of your heart, who think because of your race or because of your ethnicity or because of your intellect or your social standing, you are better. Or those of you who use your, your might or your strength to abuse others, or those who find your peace in wealth, and you're always looking down your nose at the poor people who just can't seem to get it right. It's like, if they just got a job, if they just worked harder, you know, but you have no compassion on them. Mary is saying in this song, here comes the king who's going to make all that's been wrong in this world, he's going to make it right. And those of you on the wrong side of that equation, look out. Look out. Because justice means that those who are hungry, they get fed. And the humble are exalted. So what does that mean for us? Well, it simply means this. The king is here. What are you going to do? You know, everyone says right now we live in this divided world and we live in this divided country. And I guess we do. You know, the government's shut down, you know, and so there's like all this political fighting that seems to go on and on. And, and, and we, we hang so much of our happiness and our sense of peace and well-being and thoughts about the future on earthly rulers. People who think that the president is going to ruin their life. And then people who think the president is the only hope for their life. And we put so much stock into these people. When the reality is this verse says, these people will come and go. You don't need to cry at the outcome of an election. Don't, don't shed Precious tears in sorrow over the earthly person who's going to lead you because they're not really in charge. The brilliant historian Paul Johnson wrote this massive book called Modern Times, A History of the 20th Century, which was the most bloody and brutal century in all of human history. And the whole thing, here he writes about all of the communism and fascism and Nazism and all these horrible things and these dictators and the, the, the complete um, extermination of entire groups of people. And he's getting ready to write this massive in-depth look at all of the failings of leaders throughout the 20th century. At the very beginning, the first page, there's this ominous and foreboding passage from Psalm 2 that he quotes that says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Be warned. You're not really in charge. The passage goes on, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And so those who sowed fear in the lives of millions 
and tried to extinguish the truths of Christianity are now in the ground. And we, and the truth of this lives on and we continue to hear it. The people even today who are trying to clamp down and extinguish and put out and, and put away the truth of Christianity and the truth of a baby coming in mercy and justice, the real king. Oh, they're loud. But it's only a matter of a few generations before they're dead and gone. And there will be someone else standing on this stage after I'm long gone preaching the same truth. Why? Because we have a king. He is in charge. And so we must remember this. So where are you at? Where are you at? Justice and mercy, they both can be yours. Some of us were tempted to live our entire lives in bitterness over the things that have been done to us. And we will belly up to the trough of a society that continues to want to feed us a steady diet of victimization and to figure out all the ways in which we've been taken advantage of and so we can grind our souls down to the bitter roots of hatred and revenge and take solace in the fact that we are victims. But you know what? Maybe you have legitimately been abused and been taken advantage of, but that's a bad road to live for the rest of your life, letting other people who have taken advantage of you control your emotions for the rest of your life. When the reality is, when we have a king, you got a king. And he brings justice. And so you rest in the peace of knowing that the king is watching all things. And he will bring all things into account. And we know that he arrived here on this planet because he came as a baby named Jesus. But we also need to take stock of our own sin. And those who might accuse us, rightfully so, of injustices done to them. Do you have a plan to reckon for your own sins? Because the greatest plan in the world is the simplest one which is to look at the baby king who comes in justice and mercy and who goes for the outsider and the underdog and who elevates the humble and says, I'll stand in your place. I'll take your sin. And I will live the life you could have never lived before God. And I will take on my shoulders all of your debt because I love you. And that is the Christmas story, ladies and gentlemen, and it's yours. And so if you have not yet dealt with this, I'm telling you, society will ebb and flow. The pendulum will swing back and forth and you can spend your entire life riding the waves back and forth and catching into this theory or that theory, but you will must at some point deal with the baby king. And so what are you gonna do? I'm gonna pray. And as I do, the, our worship team's gonna come out and they're gonna sing a song. And this is your opportunity to look at your own life. Because you can't draft behind someone else. You can't draft behind your parents or your wife or your husband or your brother or your sister or your friends and say, well, I'll just latch on. No, no, no. God's looking at you in the face and saying, what do you say? Who is this baby? Is he your king? With every head bowed and every eye closed, God... We sit here before you in awe of your justice and your mercy, in awe of the baby king, in awe of the fact that you intervened 
And God, there's some of us here today who had no idea when they walked in that they would be brought face to face, right up close to the truth of who you are and what you want from them. All you want is everything. All you want is the recognition of the mercy that is so badly needed by all of us. To say, I give, I quit, I'm done running, I'm done pretending, I'm done shifting the blame, I'm done being a victim. God, you are my savior and you are my king. Jesus, you have paid it all. So if there's anyone in here today who needs to say for the first time, Jesus, you are my king. Right where you are, would you, in your heart, in the quietness of your heart, just say, Jesus, you're my king. You're my king. You're my Lord. There is no greater story of mercy that could have been told. And I want it. I'm done living the road living the life of you get what you pay for. I can't handle that. God, I need your mercy. Thank you that I can become a child of yours. And so I say, oh, glory be to Christ. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.